everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talking Pit. I'm extremely excited to be hosting today's episode with a friend, a mentor, someone that probably at least a couple times a month talk on the phone with and text a lot. So for me, it means a lot because my circle is very small of people I talk to. So Coach Francis, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Weather's starting to get nice in Pittsburgh. We're not snow yet, but we're getting out of like the hot, humid summer. So it's always nice here. Love that. We are still hot and sunny out here in Boulder. Um, I'm pretty sure we have like the marketing is like 300 plus days of sun. And uh, that's not a joke. So we are still real warm out here. Winter will be there before you know it. And you'll just be snow and digging out. And I'll just get in text and photos. Hopefully photos of the new pup and all that playing in the snow. So excited for that. Oh my gosh. she's That's going to be the greatest. Like first time in the snow is going to be hilarious. And she's such an outside dog. She's going to love, I mean, we're going to, we're just going to be out there in the snow. It's just going to be my winter. No, I'm excited. I keep thinking I should try to get a second loan out so I can fence in the yard here just so the dogs have somewhere to play in the wintertime versus just having That's it. my goal, man. Right. Give the dogs a the backyard they deserve. Like, isn't that life goals? It, it is. We got a little bit over <laughs> half an acre here. So I have the land. It's now just trying to find the money to fence it in so they can actually just run around freely. Love that. Just, you know, just stack your weights up. They'll be fine. They can't, yeah, can't they'll move be that. <laughs> awesome. So I'm super familiar with you, but for everyone listening on today's episode, just a quick little background where you're currently at and where you've been. And maybe if you want to dive into how you even got into the profession um, in the first place. Yeah. Um, so currently I'm the assistant director of strength conditioning here at CU. Um, so I run our Dow Ward weight room, which is uh, one of three weight rooms on campus. So we're very fortunate. We have phenomenal facilities out here. Um, so, you know, so football has the champion center, basketball, volleyball have, um, the event center, and then the rest of the Olympic sports train out of Dell Ward, which is where I oversee. Um, I work with track and field, cross country and lacrosse here. Um, prior to coming here, I was at Prairie View A&M down in Texas, um, as the director of strength and conditioning. So I worked with football, basketball, oversaw everything there. Uh, before that, NIU, um, up in DeKalb, where I was the Olympic director, um, and then prior to that, North Carolina a which is where we were together. Um, so director of player performance for basketball out there. Um, let's see, man, memory lane here in New Mexico state before that. Um, and then I was out in California at a couple places before that. That's where I started my career. Um, so going 13 years strong here. <laughs> so a lot of different stops. Um, you know, but like I said, originally from Los Angeles, um, got to work at a JUCO out there. Um, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and then just took off from there. No, I, I remember the A&T days. I remember when you came in basketball at that time, I feel like every year was hiring a new strength coach and it was nice. It was, you were the first one who actually came to the football, other Olympic weight room because basketball had a small little spot over in the, um, our Corbett center, I think it was and all that. Yeah. So yeah. It was nice to meet you and watch you train and just from them blossom into this like really cool relationship that we have that I just, someone I can call, talk to and, I know it's going to shoot to me straight. I know when I was looking for this job, I called you at least once and was like, am I making the right decision? Because like you, I bounced <laughs> around, was a director previously, ran my own show and was like, do I want to take that step back? So always yeah. appreciate you and having you in my corner and really excited to have you on today's episode. Yeah, me too. But first thing I really want to dive into, you've been to a lot of different spots. You've been the head per person <clears throat> you've been in a more second-ish role. You've been all over the place. High performance. We talk about it a lot in our profession. What does high performance look like to you? What does like the idea model look like? And maybe what's high performance look like at your current spot? Yeah. Um, 
I think we all have an idea of what high performance is, means, and should look like, um, but everywhere is going to do it different. It depends on the staff you have, the different departments, the different resources you have. So here at CU, um, I mean, we have so many resources for the student athletes um, and just a lot of different departments to work together. So, um, you know, obviously uh, strength and conditioning, we have a sports science department um, that we are growing rapidly here. Um, we have PHP, which is our psychological health and performance, obviously our medical staff, which is athletic trainers, sports docs, um, chiropractors, you know, the whole nine. Um, and I think what high performance means is all of us identifying, right? What's going to, what are the most important things for the student athlete in our own field? And then working together to make sure that holistically the student athlete is moving forward. Um, you know, so we talk about KPIs all the time, right? We're focused on that. That's probably not what PHP is looking at. They're looking at their own KPIs, um, you know, but it's it's individual to each athlete and it's all of us working together to make sure that all of those things are contributing to their success. And I think all of us across the country can agree that that's really what high performance is, um, you know, but every, every school is going to do it different. I think we do a phenomenal job. Not think, I know we do a phenomenal job here at CU. Um, you know, everybody loves what they're doing and everybody cares a lot. Um, and those are the most important things. And I think that's when the student athletes succeed is, you know, not just when there's procedures in place and people that are good at jobs, when they, they know they're loved, they're cared about and that we're working really hard, you know, not just to get to championships, but to get your graduation and then success after that. No, that's a great point. It's kind of like that whole like holistic idea around like the student athlete, right? They are obviously the athlete that we see every day in the way we practice, but they are that person. There's that daughter, granddaughter. There's so many other aspects that make them who they are that I think not go unnoticed, but I think in our realm, it's easy to forget those when we're looking at different KPIs. Did you hit your weights? Did you get your readiness score right? There's, it's just so much going on with them. One thing you talked about was like KPIs. Is there anything you guys have there that is – um what's the word I'm looking for? Like joint, like it's kind of like an overarching KPI that everyone is kind of tracking or a few things that you guys are always tapping into to make sure the athlete is heading in the right direction. Um, as far as strength and conditioning. So we have, um, we, we have access to a lot of technology here, um, which is great. Um, that's something that I haven't had at a lot of other places. Um, and I know that's still growing in our industry and people are getting that, um, you know, but we use vol technologies here for our testing um, or one of the things that we use. Um, so we all test Nordboard. We all test force play stuff. Um, you know, so those are things kind of across the board that we all track. Um, and I think, you know, there's standards across the board for all of us. And then individually, we each use them, you know, dependent on the sport, right? Field sports are using a little bit different than golf and so on. Um, you know, but we all have that. We all track that. Um, we can all see each other's data. Um, so that, you know, comes up. Um, so there's like, there's no secrets in our staff, right? Where we talk to each other, you know, we ask for help. Um, so kind of standard across the board, we look at those things. And then each one of us, I think, kind of pinpoints dependent on sport, um, you know, what we can look at that's going to help them the most. So, you know, for example, like we all test, I think we all test the 10 hop, um, you know, but I train the sprinters, right? So we know ground contact time is the like heat, like the number one thing that's going to help them in their performance and that comes straight from research. So that's something I'm looking specifically at, right? Versus, you know, soccer might be looking at just, you know, the reactive strength number period um, versus basketball might be looking at heights, you know, in those jumps, something else. So we're all doing the same test, but making it specific to who we're training. 
No, it's it's very similar to me, same boat as you are. We have so much tech at Pitt and just trying to understand how do I utilize it? What teams am I going to look at for? Definitely going to ask you some more questions about this ground contact time because we both work with sprinters and not. So that yeah. might be a second phone conversation we have and looking <laughs> to see exactly what you're looking at. Yeah. But it's sometimes can be like overwhelming. I feel like having all this tech and having everything like with high performance, obviously sports science is a big piece of that. What part of that high performance model or like evolution do you see the new trend setting towards or something maybe you guys are doing there that you're really diving into that I think is going to be like the next big thing? I mean, I, I think it's already a big thing and I think we've already kind of gotten there, but I mean, the having the sports scientists specifically on staff, I think is huge. Um, <clears throat> like having people that are dedicated to that and that's their job and it's not, I mean, this is a personal preference, right? Because I think when we were at AT, I think you were helping me with like Google Forms or something like that. And I was irritated because that was even a lot for me. So you got to know your strengths in life, right? Um, technology is not mine. I think you got to know it. But, um, you know, having those people on staff that are specifically looking at that rather than straight coach trying to do have every hat that we already have, plus look at every piece of data for every single sport. That's a lot, um, especially if you're going to use it appropriately and realistically. Um, I think that's huge. Um, so like I said, we're growing that here. Um, we've just hired somebody else full-time on staff, um, for I'm probably going to butcher what she does, but I'm just going to say like data analytics. <laughs> um, so she helps us all with everything and we're really, truly growing that. Um, and it is helping our student athletes. Um, you know, I think I've, I've already seen last year, um, a reduction in injury, um, incidents, um, in my field sports, uh, because of the things that we're doing. And I think that that's huge, right? Like we, if you see the need and we see, we all know how important it is, right. Cause we're all tracking these things anyways. So having people that are dedicated to making sure that that's going right, we're tracking the right things. We're red flagging when we need to, and it's not getting missed because we're all over the place. I think that that's huge. And I, I mean, that's already here. Um, and I think it can continue to grow and it'll, I mean, it helps everybody. Yeah, looking at what Felix is doing, our director of sports science at Pitt, it's like we have, I think, like a couple master students that help us out. There's a couple, I don't think they're fellows yet that they have, but we got a couple like professional interns coming in. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. The one that works with me with softball, like I'll come in and he'll always already like, hey, here's the wellness questionnaire, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, wow, like I don't have to look at this. Like you can kind of give me the information or has already been relayed to athletic training and it's funny you bring up A&T like the Google forms I did that like they just seem so primitive the way I was looking at trying to look at readiness or just find yeah. ways to be like all right what's that incremental way we can help get the kids to recover or how can I change something in the weight room that's going to put us in a better position to win Friday Saturday or Sunday since I was working baseball like it's it's definitely interesting to me seeing that sports science done at a high level here and then it sounds like it's exactly the way you guys or doing it there. Do you have someone in particular that helps you with each one of the sports with like cross country track and field and your lax team, or is it more so just that one or two people and they float around between all the teams? Um, yeah, right now it's, um, like group effort. Um, so it's like, Hey, uh, you know, we have our staff and like, Hey, I need help with this today. Or can you look at this? And they kind of help everybody. Um, I think we're moving towards, you know, Hey, people having assignments. Um, so like, you know, like dietitians, they have their assigned teams, um, we have our assigned teams. I think that's what we're working towards. Um, you know, we run a sports science internship. Um, so I think we're moving towards that. Um, also, my entire staff is really great at sports science. Um, so I like came in and already had a ton of help already with things that like maybe I was a little behind on. Um, like 
you know, our two assistants that work in here with me, phenomenal at it and like can look at it all day long and love it. And I'm like, please just give me like, give me the cliff notes version guys. Um, you know, and that's just who I am. Um, but our entire staff is really, really good at it. So even if we didn't have a department, I feel like we'd still be great. Um, but having the, the sports science staff definitely helps. No, definitely. The more people you're around, the more help. Like I'm trying to think back when I was at Bridgewater, the D3 school, it was me and my assistant and like, just asking questions Well, he didn't know. And it was like, okay, like, what do we do now here? Like having five, six people on staff, having three or four people in the sports science, it just so many more people that like have knowledge or experience or two of our interns for sports science. They're like, as soon as we get a new tech piece of tech, they're just hands-on like mm -hmm. YouTube. How do I use it? How do I set it up? And like, just trying to do stuff. And then they come with like a manual of like, Oh, here's how you use the 1080 machine. I was like, good. This is very helpful. Thank you. That like, if I have an idea, which is, I mean, something I'm going through right now, I'm in like an IRB process for, um, for a research study. Um, and I have an idea, but in my head, I'm like, I have no idea how do you like, what is that going to look like? And it like implementing what products do we use, what tech do we use? And they're like, oh yeah, X, Y, and Z. And I can just see my vision and they're like, oh yeah, we already got this for you. So it's like both sides of it, um, which is really cool. No, it's, it's awesome. It's something I want to dive into because now if people who aren't watching since this one, is just going to be audio. You've got a whole bunch of graphs and notes up behind you on your whiteboard and all that. So can you dive in a little bit more into what you're looking at and what you plan to be doing with this? Yeah. Um, my whiteboard is infamous here. Everybody just stops and stares at it and they're like, what is that? It's like, oh, it's just me scribbling all of my ideas that are in my head. Um, but so what I'm trying to do is, or what I have been doing for the last year is tweaking periodization, um, for the female athlete specifically around the menstrual cycle. Um, and I know, I mean, Sam Moore talks about this a lot and there's a lot of people, um, came before me and kind of laid the foundation here. Even the person that came before me in this position, um, you know, kind of started the conversation with the athletes about this. So it's made, um, you know, what I want to do a lot easier because it's already in their heads. Um, but essentially, you know, what I'm looking at is traditional periodization was all tested on men. So everything that we came up learning, like block periodization and all these things, um, that was tested on men. That was, and you, we know it works, right? And it works for a lot of women, but it's probably not working for everybody because the hormonal profile is so different for women. Um, so what I've done for the last year um, with lacrosse, I started with lacrosse with one team, um, is tweak our periodization and what we're doing week to week around the menstrual cycle. Um, and that's what these graphs up here are. So like, what are we peaked for at different times, right? Um, so if they have a, you know, a natural hormonal cycle or not on any um, hormonal contraceptives or anything like that, we know estrogen peaks at a certain time, progesterone peaks at a certain time, and those hormones um, directly affect performance, directly affect um, everything, power, output, strength, and everything. So what we've done for the last year is essentially just tweak periodization for that. Um, and it, I mean, we were super successful. I really liked what we did and still trial and error. Um, because I think, you know, anybody who's been talking about this will tell you it's like, it's not a perfect science because every single body is different. Um, as is the case with any team, right. Men included, every single body is different. Um, and then making that fit into the collegiate model, just whole other different level of difficulty. Um, you know, but the feedback from our female athletes was that they really liked it. Um, you know, it felt like that helped their body, gave them deloads when they needed it. It was a little bit less stressful. 
um, you know, during times when they already weren't feeling good and knowing they have to come to the weight room and they're already tired this week or whatever. Um, so we've been successful so far. Um, I'm getting, I'm trying to get approved right now, working on it with our sports science department, getting approved for an IRB, um, you know, to use this data to put out, you know, can we see trends so that we can potentially, you know, influence how we train female athletes and, and kind of help performance, reduce injury risks is really my big thing, huge thing. Right. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of, kind of what we're doing here. No, that's so awesome. At my previous stop, we had two basketball girls, um, ACLs, and then talking to them and they were telling me, again, about the same time in their menstrual cycle that it was when the incident mm -hmm. happened. So again, like, doesn't mean correlation is a causation, but it's just funny that just two people I had like same time. Have yeah. you been looking at like, when you're talking about like, creating your periodization plan? Are you like, not fully individualizing? Or maybe you are? person by person are you finding more like not silos is not the word i'm looking for but like small groups of like okay like plan a plan b plan c to try to keep it or are you truly trying to go individualized between athlete a b c and d yeah it's controlled chaos i could tell you that much um so essentially what i've done is it's the same program but it's four different groups running at the same time so you know um Again, it's not a perfect science, but if we think like a, you know, quote unquote, typical menstrual cycle, which is not even a thing, but typical 28 days. So that's four weeks. Um, so depending on where they're at in their menstrual cycle, um, they started on week one, week two, week three, or week four, and it's all the same cycle. They've just started on a different week, dependent on where they're at um, and what they're prepped for. So for example, you know, the week of the menstrual cycle, the body's prepped for aerobic fitness, right? So we can get gain more gains in that area. Um, so their lift might be a little bit more circuit based, tempo based, right? A little bit higher reps. We're getting their heart rate up because we can get those adaptations a lot easier because the body is naturally prepped for that versus the week before the menstrual cycle, all your parameters go down. So strength parameters go down, uh, power parameters go down. They're losing sleep, right? So like, these statistics up here, right? 46% of female athletes um, report sleep sleep disturbances the week before a period, right? And we know fatigue is the number one injury risk uh, cause, of, or not cause, but injury risk cause. Um, so that week, potentially they might need a down uh, deload, right? Again, everybody's different. So some, some of us are going to feel great. Other females are not going to feel great, right? Um, so I kind of give them options on that week is what that week looks like for them. So like, hey, I need you to do um, something for your back. You need to accumulate 20 reps. You pick your exercise, whatever feels good for you. Pick your weight, whatever feels good for you. Um, so that's kind of how it is. So it, they're all on the same four-week phase. It's just what week are they on um, is what they're doing. If that makes sense, if you can envision that. Like I said, controlled chaos. <laughs> no, no, it does. Are you using like some kind of like questionnaire or something to then like, is there certain questions built in to kind of see where they are at during that menstrual cycle? So then you know how to kind of which way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, at the beginning of the year and it's, it is medical data. So like, it's all kept, like it's not published or anything like that. Um, but they'll just say like, Hey, this is, it's kind of like uh, when you go to the doctor, right. So, so any females listening, you know, like they'll ask you what's the first day of your last menstrual cycle. Um, and then I'll just set it based off of whatever they tell me. So it's coded into like they're in group A, B, C, or D. Um, and that's just the group that I start them on. And then if there is a change, which there are because our bodies are not machines, um, you know, then we just move them to where they're supposed to be, or I just move them to where they're supposed to be at in their um, phase. And we just keep going. 
Um, it's completely optional, right? So at the beginning, I told them like, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I've explained it to them. Um, if they want to opt out, they 100% don't have to do it. So again, this is not like mandatory, right? They've, I've explained to them, this is for them. I'm trying to figure some stuff out here um, so they can opt out if they want to, and, and that's fine. Um, they can share as much as they want with me on those questionnaires. Um, but you know, it's, it's a lot based off, it's, it's trust, right? Like I have to trust them that they are going to be responsible enough to still get done what I need them to get done, but giving them the autonomy to say, okay, you know how your body feels. I have no idea how you feel today, right? You know how your body feels. You choose what's right for you within this menu of stuff. No, that, that's awesome. I love the idea of giving them autonomy, especially around how they feel. Like the little bit I played around with that, it always just seems to have way more buy-in in the weight room, whether that's just the intent they're giving out or just feeling, again, the idea of just have, feeling like having control, right? They're always just being told like, this is the drill. This is the scheme. This is how we're doing this in the weight room. Like it's always just like, this is how you're going to do it versus like, well, it doesn't feel great. Like I, the longer I'm in this field, the more I'm like, all right, like how's this feel? Do you feel this in your hamstrings? No, like how do we then make it fit for that athlete in mm -hmm. terms of this study and because you've done it what a year you've been diving into this um so i haven't actually started the study yet i've been doing the periodization with them so i built the model last summer um and rolled it out to them and we we went through it all year um i'm still in the irb process um so i haven't gotten approved yet but once i do we'll use the data um so and the data that i'm using essentially because again this is very like this is very fluid you know like how there's a lot of parts of this that like it would be impossible to do an actual research study on. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm using the technology that we have. So the NOR boards and the force plates um, and we're, we're testing two times in the cycle. So we're testing in the first half and the second half. Um, so the follicular and the uh, luteal phase. Um, and we're trying to see if we can see any changes in hamstring strength, any changes in you know, reactive, um, like the reactive strength index, jump height, things like this throughout the cycle. And I think that that's an, the easiest place for me to start um, to see if what we're doing actually is correct. Um, because the the data that's out there right now on menstrual cycles and performance, like it completely um, contradicts itself, right? So like half of it says one thing, the other half says something else. A lot of it says there is no, there's nothing that you can conclude because everybody's body is different, right? Um, so, you know, there's a chance I could be totally wrong about all of this. I hope I'm not, like, knock on wood. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm trying to see if we can find trends at, at the collegiate level. And that's the other thing, right? Like, um, this could potentially be a little bit easier at the professional level. And I know, um, you know, Women's Soccer League, the Women's Soccer League, um, is actually dedicating positions to this, right? So uh, I don't remember what team it was. I think they're on the East Coast somewhere. Um, and they just rolled out two PhD positions on the team, like fully funded PhDs to just study women's performance and stuff like this. Um, you know, so, but applying this to the collegiate model, because there's so many things going on and, you know, so many, like, you know, I get four hours a week with them on some times of the year and then I get two hours a week and we have play schedules that, you know, are not forgiving to where you're at in your menstrual cycle. You still got to play. Um, so trying to figure out, you know, is there some type of conclusive data or some type of trends that we can see with collegiate athletes? And then we can potentially change how we do things at the collegiate level or not change, but modify and adjust and make things a little bit better at the collegiate level. 
no, this is this is awesome, especially me, like half of my team is female athletes. So like mm -hmm. not saying again, I've dealt with it at previous schools. I know it's a thing, but never really have thought of like, okay, how do I change my either periodization? How do I work around it? Because it it like you said, so many things happen, even just hormonally, that mm -hmm. is gonna affect tra training. What has been off the debt? Oh my god, words are hard. Data you've collected. <laughs> is there anything really like not alarming, but really like some aha moments that you've found, whether that's like just how they feel or by changing a small variable, you've seen dramatic increases in something? I think the biggest thing I've seen is the feedback and the energy levels of the athletes um, throughout the entire year, right? So like I we've done this in the weight room. I've also changed their conditioning around this as well. So with lacrosse, I, you know, I handle our, the conditioning, obviously with track and field and cross country, I do none of that. Um, but, um, you know, I've, I've changed it and tweaked their conditioning as well to fit the same model. Um, and the feedback from them is that they feel great. Um, and then also like, you know, again, knock on wood, we reduce injury rates. Um, you know, so like time out of play went down dramatically and a there's a million different factors for that for sure. But if this is helping, great, right? And the feedback from the athletes, like I said, is that they feel less stressed when they have to come to the weight room, which I mean, again, cortisol levels go through the roof and then you don't get the benefits that you want out of training. So if their cortisol levels are lower because they're not stressed out and they know where they're at and they're understanding their body, um, then I think we're we're getting what we need. Um you know, some, some little trends, like you said, right there, we've seen certain times of the period of the menstrual cycle where ACLs potentially are more common to happen. Um, so that's still something again, and again, so many different variables, right? Like still hard to pinpoint, um, you know, but that is a trend that we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, so just being conscious of that. Right. And that's the other question. Like, if you know this, what do you do with it? We have to be conscious of it. Um, you know, and then just do, do what you can, right. Modify for the athlete. If that athlete is in that time period and they say, Oh my God, I'm so sore. I'm so fatigued. I only slept two hours yesterday. Right. Well, we need to do something different instead of push that athlete over the edge. And I think that's what we're trying to do. All of us right across the country are trying to do, um, for all of our athletes. Um, you know, this is just, like I said, it's just kind of specific to, and being conscious of the hormonal profile of female athletes. No, that's huge, especially the limiting like player time loss in games, because like that's why we're here, right? Like availability is the best ability. If you're not able to run or play your sport, like what are we really doing then? Yep. Not trying to dive in too much into this, but I'm really interested in this. Say yeah. someone who is again, I'll use me for example. What would be a good starting point for this? Whether that be like talking with medical, talking with our sports science, like how would I start this conversation of possibly finding ways of like how do we start collecting some data? or start looking at this more in depth? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first place to start is with the athletes, right? And again, this is like, there's a lot of medical data that goes into it. So so HIPAA laws and, you know, the athletic trainers can protect this, this information for us. Um, but I think, you know, with questionnaires and stuff like that, you can start to look at trends like, hey, are these athletes feeling a certain way, you know, every four weeks, right? Um, cause again, like I, you know, I got all my stats up here, right. 45% of female athletes report changes throughout the menstrual cycle. Right. And again, those changes are sleep disturbance or they could be anything, right? Like there is a the whole list of symptoms that you can have at different times. Right. Um, you know, but looking at those things and getting the athletes conscious of when they're feeling a certain way, I think is super important because then they can, they can 
relate or relay that information to you, right? They can tell you like, hey, I don't feel good this week and this is why. I mean, they don't even have to tell you this is why, right? But they just know their body. So potentially that could be the first place is just getting them conscious of like, hey, do you have trends? Are you feeling a certain way? Do you know right before you know, your cycle starts, you're tired, you're stressed, you're anxious, whatever it happens to be, right? And then how can we, you know, give you some options during that time? And that can be medical staff that do that, right? That protects um, the athletes as well as, you know, all of the practitioners. Um, but just getting them conscious of their bodies, I think is just step one. And then us, like you said, like, I think as you get older in your career, you start to figure out like, okay, maybe I don't know everything for every single person. And it's okay for me to not be like X, Y, and Z. It has to be this way. Um, and just us being willing to give them, like you said, the autonomy and the options and like, hey, this is how you feel today. You know, let's go how you feel, but still get what we need out of them. Because there are still those KPIs, right? I can't just let them do, or we can't just let them do whatever they feel like doing every single day. Because then we wouldn't get to where we need to be because we know certain things for a fact, right? We know um, relative strength levels matter, right? There are certain like strength levels that, that, um, relate to injury risk, right? So we know we still have things we got to get done, but getting it done in a way that helps the athlete, um, I think is like, that's the relationship part of it, right? Like that's the biggest part for us is relationships. They have to be able to trust that if they tell you they don't feel great or X, Y, and Z, that you're going to be able to help them. And then you're going to be able to push them at other times. Now I was, as you were talking about that, I was thinking like communication relationships, like it's really, it's really what we do. Like all the science yep. is great and all that, all the knowledge we have, it's important. It has its value, but if the kids don't trust you, don't have the relationship with them and you're not being able to communicate with them, like it sometimes doesn't mean anything, especially like a female athlete. Like if I'm working with them and I don't have a good relationship with them, I don't talk to them. Like I'm missing this whole piece, which mm -hmm. I'll still probably see some good results, but like, am I doing everything I can to help them be the best athlete they can be or keeping them on the field for the whole season. Yeah. I mean, I'm not knocking how we've done things, right? Like, yeah, you know, like I said, 13 years in this industry and I've only been doing this for a year. So that means for 12 years, I've been training athletes on the periodizations that we learned that were tested on men. And did I get results? Yes. Right. Have I had female athletes get incredibly strong, incredibly fast, be successful, be healthy? Absolutely. Um, and I get everybody's different, right? So I probably did great for some of them and I probably missed a few of them and that's all of us, right? Um, it's just trying to catch those few that aren't being helped as much as we can help them based off of traditional stuff. So I'm not knocking it, right? Like I still do it myself, honestly. Um, but just trying to catch the few that are, you know, I don't want to say falling through the cracks, but that, that we can help a little bit more. Absolutely. The more I know, the longer I'm in it, the real, the more I realize I don't know and have so much more to learn and all that, which yep. is cool though. Cause it's a, it's a never ending field, right? Like there's always more data coming out. There's new pieces of tech that allow us to look deeper into stuff and all that. I'm really, I'm hoping you get approved for this study because I'd love to kind of see where this goes and how I can add it into my training or just like bring it to my staff and be like, Hey, what, how could we look at this? How can we help so much? Yeah, for sure. But switching gears a little bit, a little couple fun questions before we tie up today. Um, for anyone listening and all that top book that you would recommend someone and top podcast top book i mean so i uh have bought a lot of books based off of this training uh this periodization that i'm doing um but up to speed is a pretty good one um you know so kind of integrates everything um I think that's probably been my favorite one that I bought so far. Also, Why We Sleep was a good one also. Um, so those two, and you know, relatable to everybody. 
Um, as far as podcasts, I mean, I've you know, uh, the Moffat Method um, is a great one, and then also uh, the Food Medic, uh, which is not specific to strength and conditioning. She talks about a lot of different stuff. Um, talks about nutrition, talks about strength, talks about you know the female athlete. So I think you get a wide variety. Um, and then professionals that maybe we wouldn't normally be hearing on strength and conditioning podcasts or sports science podcast. Um, so I like hers a lot. So I'm, you know, take what you can from, from different stuff. And I think sometimes it's just good for your brain to listen to different stuff. too. <laughs> Absolutely. I haven't heard of the second one, so I'm excited to, in my car right yeah. into work today to dive into that possibly. Yeah. Last final thing I have contact information, socials, anything you want to give out where people could follow you or reach out to you if they have any more questions, especially about this. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people wanting to dive a little bit more into this, looking at how you're training your female athletes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, my, my email and my contact is on our website. Um, I have Instagram. I don't use it as often as maybe some other people. Um, you know, (laughs) I definitely have Instagram. Um, so that's another way. Um, but I mean, yeah, you know, I'd love to connect, love to talk about this stuff. Um, you know, so anyway, anybody feels comfortable reaching out is fine by me. Awesome. I'll make sure when I'm writing up the show notes, I put your email in there and I'll, yeah. I'll call you on the side to make sure, see if you want your IG posted on there or not and all that. So. Go ahead. I mean, Instagram, sure. Right. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be getting good at. Apparently, um, is what my athletes tell me. I need to be better about my Instagram. Cause I think I posted like maybe three years ago. Um, so, you know, go ahead. Just. You got the yeah, new puppy. Cool. That's that's easy content right there. <laughs> that's so true. I mean, yeah, actually, she's super cool. So I put I should just post all her little silly stuff on there. Awesome. Well, Coach, honestly, it's a pleasure. I love talking to you. I love the relationship we've been able to build over the years, even though we only spent a couple months together at A&T. But thank you so much. Also, everyone, thank you for listening. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of Talking Pit. And as always, hail the pit. Mm-hmm.